overlooking Phoenix. From high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios, Badge Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome to another edition of the Badge Boys, where two retired cops talk to the community. I'm retired silent witness sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix police officer Jason Schechterly. And we have another great show for you. We have a police chief. Uh, he was the director of public safety and emergency management at Hartnell Community College, uh, university and college vice chair in Pacific Region. He's part of the International Association of Chief Police and all started, gosh, 2011 when he went from being just a regular cop like you and I working off duty job to becoming the first police chief for Grand Canyon University it is really a neat story. Ken Laird will be joining us in studio. Then after that we're going to go into cop talk. Uh, Jason and I are going to talk about scams targeting our senior citizens. Nothing worse than that. No. And then we're going to go light and happy because we're going to have heroic headlines, inspirational and stupid suspects and so much more. So stay tuned, stay informed, and most of all, you're going to be entertained. More stories, inside guests and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the moment. moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. We are going to have such such fun. Yes. Uh, this next guest, who I've known, oh my gosh, probably 20 years. We were detectives in burglary together. I have, um, and, and how should I, should I say your honor? Should I say Mr. Chief? How, oh, good should, how should I say this, Ken? <laughs> Mr. Chief. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Chief. Like, no, in, in all sincerity, you are a director of public safety and emergency management? At Hartnell Community College, yes. And when we worked together, we were just... Uh, Detectives work in burglary, and the next thing I know, this guy becomes the chief of police at Grand Canyon University. Went went from Grand Canyon College to Grand Canyon University. Tell us that story. Right. How'd that I, go down? You know, that's a that's a quite a story. The uh, when I started there, I actually started there as a men's assistant soccer coach. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. <laughs> it gets stranger. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and so then I went to school there, and then uh, there was a lot of transition at the time, and a couple different groups came in. And in uh, 2011, I went there and worked, and we had Off a... duty job, right? We were, yeah, I was doing, uh, actually working in the weed and seed area for Phoenix Police okay. Department. Okay, And uh, we had an opportunity to partner with the university, which segued into a part-time associate director of public safety. And uh, sometime later, after a lot of discussion and the partnership with the Phoenix Police Department, um, Policy Development Group 
and I, uh, Paul Sensman, got together and, uh, with, of course, with the blessing of the university, and uh, legislated the first private police department for a university in Arizona. Wow. Wow. And so you basically created policy for them, did you not? Yeah. No, we created, uh, we actually created the policies and procedures that uh, I'm, I'm sure that they've probably changed a little bit today, more towards the Phoenix Police Department policies and procedures, because um, there's a bit of transition after I left. But um, nonetheless, I mean, we we had a, a pretty good-sized police department and uh, a full-service police department. And I'm pretty proud of the, uh, the evolution of how we, we uh, created and built that, and it's still alive and well today under the leadership of Joe Yonner, as everybody knows. I, I kind of, during the tease, I talked about how one day he's just a cop like any of us, and next thing he's a chief police. Kind of lied there, though. You, you were a sergeant, am I right? I was, yeah. I was a sergeant for Phoenix PD. Um, actually worked in uh, assaults when Jason had his uh, wreck over uh, downtown. And uh, was in assaults for, as a, well, I started there, as you know, early in the 90s and uh, worked through detectives with you, which yep, is a we had some fun story there. <laughs> and then uh, I got promoted, went out to Maryvale Precinct, and then I went to what was GIB at the time, and then worked at the assaults unit, and then went over to, uh, after 10 years, went over to property management, and then transitioned out to uh, Net Squad. And 900, where I worked on the Weedon Seed, I was the co-chair of the Weedon Seed grant. Now, I'm going to try to be very uh, subtle here and try to segue to something else, because I know Jason's going to want to bring you back to some dirt on me. But. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, but tell us, what are you doing now, and where is Hartnell College? So, actually, um, I, I have retired from Hartnell uh, just um, a few days ago, oh but God. I'm still doing contract work for them. Uh, my wife's uh, mother got uh, ill here in Arizona, so we came out here to support her through that. Sorry to hear that. No, it's okay. Um, just one of those transitions in life. And uh, so we came out here, but the college was grac- gracious enough to uh, do contract work. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to segue into a couple of different, probably, company ventures here in Phoenix market uh, in the next couple months or so. So... Uh- Tell me, what was it like being a uh, director there at, at Hartnell? So we had a multi-college district, and um, we had one down at, by Paso Robles where everybody uh, that travels to California in the wine country, that's one of the wine stops. So we had a small campus out there, uh, King City Center, and uh, another campus up in Salinas, and then one in the center of Salinas, Maine, proper. So uh, we had about 19,500 students, and I was in charge primarily of uh, the public safety department and the uh, emergency management division of the college. It's funny, because when I hear emergency management division, I never hear that in Arizona. I mean, we don't have any natural emergencies in no, Arizona. No, thankfully. We, right? Uh, everywhere I travel, you know, there's tornadoes, there's hurricanes, there's this, there's that. I'm like... We, we get a sunburn. Of, we have uh, a whole boob. Yeah, or, or the flash flood warnings, which <laughs> I know they can be dangerous, and they no, have, they right. have cost right. lives. That's not a joke. But you're right. when I get a notice, and I live in the middle of Phoenix, I'm like, there, there will be no flash flooding here. I, we have nothing to worry about. Yeah. In We're very lucky. But otherwise. in California, you, you have actual emergencies. So tell us about that. Yeah, we actually were, we, our colleges, one, the main college was in a uh, tsunami zone. 
Uh, we were also a uh, secondary tsunami zone. <laughs> right. That, 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 That'd be a great that's a movie. class. <laughs> Here's what to do in the case of a tsunami. <laughs> Run. Run. High. Class is Look over. High. Yeah, class over. <laughs> Not the weed kind of high. <laughs> right, no. And there was plenty of that there. Oh, I bet. Trust me. We, need, we, we, we will be talking about that. There's a lot of farming that. of that. We're going to be talking about that in a moment, so, yes. So, uh, yeah, no. Uh, we And then this month, as a, as a matter of fact, there's a uh, event in California of California celebrates called the Shakeout, so earthquake awareness. Oh wow! So they actually have two days dedicated to earthquake awareness. Good for you guys. And uh, as well as we ran a secondary Red Cross shelter, so the Santa Rosa fires and Paradise the fires that devastated towns there, um, our shelter could have been uh, initiated for um, you know care of those people, food, a resource. Yeah. And so we had we had that going as well. So I had a lot of uh, I had a lot of associate associations and collaborations with like the California SEMS department and uh, the Red Cross. Red Cross and, makes and, sense. Yeah, recovery stuff. Where we where we run a campus if our campus went down. I do have to ask you two days of what's it called again? Where is the earthquake training? That's the great, sh- it's called the shakeout. The shakeout. So yeah. two days of hiding in a doorway. I'm, tell me what that yeah, is. Well, so, <laughs> no, there's a lot of pamphlets that go out. Every, it's kind of like a celebration now. It's kind of like a party, How if you will. funny. So only they, California. Yeah, only California. <laughs> um, so we would set out a table and uh, put out um, pamphlets and propaganda about what to do in an earthquake and pass out water and then have some emergency services come in uh, as awareness of what we would do in the recovery effort or the mitigation effort. It's hard to mitigate an earthquake. Right, but. right, right. Go away. <laughs> it's yeah, here. Right. <laughs> so uh, no, I was quite lucky the two years, that, uh, two and a half years I was there that uh, we didn't have any earthquake emergencies, but we did have a couple of fires, and we did have some water emergencies. No tsunami. No, no tsunamis, but... Uh, uh, that's what a lot of people don't realize about a college campus. There are a lot of things that can go wrong with food services and infrastructure problems sure. and, and that uh, actually affect every student on campus. And tell me about the transition from working with the, you know, the Phoenix Police Department, the fifth largest city, and, and it, at that time at least, conservative, fairly sure. speaking. And then you go to California. And people are getting high on campus. Tell us about that transition. So, well, I'm actually doing a uh, webinar for IACLEA, which is the College Law Enforcement Administrator uh, Association, and uh, about transitioning from uh, municipal policing to um, college policing. Because those things, uh, it's different in every state. Sure. And uh, a lot of times a police chief or a police supervisor in a major city doesn't have to worry about a Cleary report, which is the statistics for crime that has to be reported. And as a matter of fact, it just closed on October 1st. And then, of course, Title IX, where it involves sex assaults, uh, something near and dear to you. Sex crime detective. Thank you, my friend. (laughs) And... uh, as well as annual security reporting, there's a lot of different reporting mechanisms, and so there was we found a need for for a webinar to uh, put out information to people that are doing the transition because you literally go from a, a space where you're the most important thing since sliced bread, so to speak, and then you go into a space where you're just another department in the college, and you have all these compliance issues that you wouldn't normally 
have to to deal with um, things in that your way. aren't necessarily law enforcement driven, if you will. Right, it's they're more of a care and, and helping the kids. Right, they're more d- Department of Education driven. And like the Cleary report came from Lehigh University, a, a young girl was uh, killed and murdered oh. out there, and they didn't report the crime. Oh my God. And so that's what... Uh, Hold on. <laughs> well, they did report the crime to the police. They didn't okay. report it to the Do university that. community as a part of their normal... Hey, Protocol. This would be, yeah. So, and, and it segues into the timely warning that needs to be done and the different emergency systems. And for mo- the welfare for the kids. The, the, right. The uh, colleges need to be aware of that. Absolutely. Clearly. And as a parent consuming that, uh, that information, that those are the choices that you make when your kids go off to college. Cause I always told everybody well, we're in charge point. of people's most precious resource Thank and you. that's their children. Yes. I have two kids in college, one getting ready to go to college. And you're right. That is the most precious commodity that we have. If, do you have children? Yes, I have five hey, of them. Oh, yeah, so <laughs> you know, and I talked. <laughs> you know, I, like what you said about Lehigh University. There's a, a parallel, and this is something I believe very strongly. And I still teach at our academy, and I notice a lot of times, not just our academy, but other places, you get locked into a training mode or a way of doing things, and it will continue. It you should be trained on what is happening on a daily basis in real life, law enforcement. If a cop got killed last week on a traffic stop, learn the details. Why? What did he do right or wrong? What did the suspects do? Learn from that. And it should be an ever-evolving thing. The same thing with colleges. If something happens in a college in North Carolina, why isn't the college in Washington State studying it and learning about it and getting the news out? Hey, this is what happened to this young girl leaving her dorm room this time at night, going to a yogurt shop all normal everyday stuff so i see a lot of parallels and i'm glad to see that you're involved with this clear report now and that they they are doing that but kids need to kids need to get out of their comfort zone and understand this is what happens and can happen if you're not being safe oh absolutely and and uh you know i i spoke about iaclea and that's really the the uh version of iacp for Mm. colleges so and I, I was involved in both associations and have recently this election. I'm uh, I'm obviously not gonna I'm not gonna go uh, to the next level, which would be uh, general chair of the the IACP for college and universities. But I was I still am at least for 26 more days a Pacific chair for the uh, uh, college and university section for the Pacific region, which has 16 or 18 states in it, something wow. like that. So. There is a lot of collaborative efforts and that, you know, the clear everybody we have to post our annual security reports online which have those numbers of crimes in it and usually so parents can see it and Yeah, usually it's a UCR part 1. Okay. Uh, crimes that they're focused on, but um, we want we want to make sure that uh, that that's one of the DOE's presses is to make sure that you have policy statements that match your policies and your reporting correctly for for the uh, UCR part one crimes that they require. So you don't really have to report lesser crimes that would be misdemeanors or whatever. But if you do report the crimes, you have to report them accurately. So, um, you know, you uh, the natural reaction is why wouldn't we just just report the crimes? And and who cares if we over report? But as far as the DOE is concerned, accurate reporting is very, very uh, necessary. And uh, over-reporting and under-reporting are the same as misreporting, and and they and I think the Clery Act fines now are up to fifty-nine thousand dollars per 
violation. Ooh. Wow. Wow. That's great. Yeah. To tell Dove on uh, what Jason was talking about as far as kind of learning from other colleges, uh, what, what was that like when there was a shooting um, that happened in a university? Tell us a little bit about that, your, your thoughts. And well, so I can, forth. yeah, from a, from a college perspective, from both the, the Hartnell Community College District and Grand Canyon University, and as you know, lately there was three in a row. I think it was in 36 hours across the country. Insane. But even when there, when there was a shooting at a school, obviously it was, uh, it was dissected, and uh, every other school would look at it, and, the, and that platform at IACLEA became a training platform for those types of incidents, so people could come in and share those stories. But uh, more importantly, every time something happened anywhere in the country, routinely as the chief of police for, or in the director for the other organization, um, we would get uh, media inquiries about what do we do, even though it didn't involve a college, what do we do to protect students from those types of events? And obviously the active shooter events are very hot topic and, sure. and then become uh, all too normal. I can imagine parents, you know, what, to Jason's point, you know, wanting to know what, what that college is like, yeah. what kind of, you know, programs available, but also what does that school have in place if there were, heaven forbid, an active shooter? Well, uh, do you get those kind of things? Yeah, well, you know, Grand Canyon's a very private uh, place. We put fences all around it. And there's guard shacks, and it's a, a, you know, I considered it a very safe place. And then I moved to a public university where people were coming on to Open use, campus. right, to use the, to use the Starbucks that we had on campus, to have the voter signature stuff, uh, free speech zones, people would come out and, and one side or the other on free speech issues. So it was a very, very different, uh, you know. Soft a target, of, yeah, plus a hard target. Absolutely, and I think uh, that's what we did a good job of at Grand Canyon is hardening the target. Talking about hardening targets, uh, I got to go down something I know is close and dear to Jason's heart, and that's marijuana. Oh, uh, yes, I, yes. <laughs> One of my favorites. How did you know, Darren? What the hell is he talking about? It's not, Ken, <laughs> quit laughing. It's not one of my favorite topics. I don't know what Darren's talking about. Please. Please discuss it, though, because I know that uh, it's the, California. Uh, the THC levels yeah. are much higher than the GPAs at most colleges. So go ahead and uh, we, talk about that. Well, you know, we, we still had to honor the drug-free school zone. So uh, the, the SAVE Act still requires that there's no drugs or alcohol on campus. Okay. So we have policies and procedures I, that surrounding me. that. Okay. Um, but I, I see a butt coming. And well, no, wow. no, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off. Well, as uh, soon as you say policies just, and procedures, <laughs> you, you know something else is coming yeah, right, to right, offset right. that. Yeah. Hypothetically, it don't matter. Too theoretically, much. so theoretically, be, because it's all over the place, um, you know, it's not uncommon to smell it in the parking lot. <laughs> and uh, you know, the the business in California has gotten. I lived. Uh, Salinas is a, is called the Salad Bowl. And uh, if you've ever eaten fruits or vegetables or lettuce or whatever, it's probably come from there. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, and and wine grapes from uh, San Luis Obispo up to the Russian River Valley. So it's when you say salad bowl, I was thinking figuratively. Uh, I I, I thought we were being (laughs) metaphoric here. So yeah. uh, So a lot of those businesses sold land so that the marijuana grows, or they just went into the business of marijuana grows. Transition. so most of it's covered, but the business is, is it's massive there. 
there's there's hundreds of, there's thousands and hundreds of thousands of acres of marijuana growing uh, under you know undercover, and it's very well guarded and. So they're, they're, uh, it's a business. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, there were a lot of police chiefs in the area where I work that just quit doing their job and went to work for a marijuana place, a marijuana grow, because it was more money. Hey, wow. it, it makes more money. Yeah. So the real reason you're not going to get that other from you talk about <laughs> it is because you're, you had way too many contact highs just from being in California. I, I think that, yeah. you, can't, you can't any longer say, I never did it. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. yeah I, I never inhaled. I, I, I was I always inhaling. Walk, walking around the campus, unfortunately, I was exposed. But I mean, the, the, I, there, there's legislation surrounding some of the things in California. You know, they're constantly trying to... Uh, look at their marijuana policies and of course the their state house runs very very differently than our state house does here and uh they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of more special interest i mean you're dealing with 39 and a half million people and yeah. what do they say the third largest economy in the world so yeah, it's a big uh, big place it's yeah it uh, so there's a lot of there i mean it's really incredible to go up to their state house and go through some of these and and one of the things that they had recently done to try and uh, identify or actually help the homeless population is and it didn't go through on this one but i i suspect that some sort of bill will it was uh, called AB 302, and they were going to allow homeless students with any credits to come and live in the parking garages at community colleges. I'm, I'm assuming you weren't a proponent to that. No, I yeah, <laughs> spoke out fairly loudly about that. And, and there was a lot of waiting, though, be, and you'd be surprised because I was watching the votes as we were going, we were getting closer and closer to the legislation. And uh, the votes were compelling. I mean, there was only a couple of senators or, or House of Reps that are voting against this. Wow. And so finally it got tabled because at the end there, when it looked like it was, you know, it was on the third read and their, their, what, their bicameral body, which is the Senate, and uh, they uh, tabled it because so many community college presidents finally came out of the woodwork and spoke out against it. I can't imagine parents being okay with that. Well, I, I don't know. It's I, California. I certainly so wouldn't, I but know. it is. Yeah, it's, it's California. California and they, so. When you have parents who grew up in the 60s and 70s also. and <laughs> the uh, you, Yeah, they, you never. It's called Berkeley you, for a reason. Yeah, yeah. You never know <laughs> how, what their experiences were like. And, uh, but, yeah, yeah. Like, the world is changing. We've discussed it on here. Arizona, and working on uh, every, every four years, we're going to have an initiative to legalize marijuana until, it, you know, they're going to want to keep passing it and become like, these other states, but colleges are just, you know, it's a different, it's our different animal right now. And Thank I you. can't speak, you know, I joined, uh, I went to community college for six months and then went into the military. So I didn't have the full exposure and wasn't around that lifestyle. The, you know, yeah, yeah, not at all. While we have a little bit of time. Oh, I think I, we're out of time. I no, think we're just, no, 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 no. We, we, we're, we're, we're going to go into overtime. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I'm making an executive oh, decision oh, today. I personally, I'm a big fan of stories. Life is all about stories and making memories. And I know that our audience would love stories. So you guys like to date yourselves. I was like nine in the late 90s, just in <laughs> case you're wondering. I want you to tell me about the great ATM caper and the fun you and Darren had as burglar detectives uh, working together. I have to tell you, we... Uh Darren and I started in, I think it was in 95 or 96 95, in burglary. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a while ago. And, uh, and I immediately identified the fact that 
I didn't like taking all the burglary cases, so I went straight to the airport and worked at the airport. <laughs> he was smart. He was destined to be a chief. He was smart. Yes. Very administratively so, so, intelligent. So I was uh, a part of a FBI uh, interstate cargo stuff, so I, w- I didn't get a lot of cases, right. to, to, so to speak. But uh, Darren did. He worked 500. Yes, and, uh, South Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, baby, Central City. Yeah, yeah, he had one of the busiest beats in 500, and at the time uh, we were working for a guy named Frank Sweeney. And uh, there was a twenty thousand dollar. It might have been more than that. It was about twenty thousand. It was twenty thousand. And they uh, basically, I think it might have been an inside job, but they got a tray of money, which put Darren on vacation for (laughs) about three months. I worked with the FBI. (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) It was Cush, and he took my cases. (laughs) So, so I had to help Darren work his case, uh, which uh, I mean, every day. I don't know. I think maybe what. Two or three paragraphs a day on the report you were working, and uh, <laughs> as slow as I could. Uh, yeah, and I uh, and I uh, got uh, four or five cases a day, and then I on was, top of his own case, and then I was taxed uh, to uh, do his as well. Well, that's, that's that the, sounds like a pretty good job on that, Darren's part. It's a brotherhood, <laughs> you know. And, and, the FBI, and we got to work with the FBI and learn firsthand how sometimes I love the FBI, yes. but they're not real cops sometimes. And it, this was clearly inside job. There was n- it was a kiosk. There was no forced entry. Right. It was clearly inside job. And so the FBI agent and I had three suspects that I had in, in mind that had been spending more money than they really make. And that's a clue. And so I got the FBI to help me with that aspect. But their big thing was the fingerprints. I kept saying, well, the fingerprints are going to be there because they're the guards. They're the money people. They're the ones who put the money in there. They're also the ones that took it out unlawfully. Yeah, but can't we figure out when the fingerprint went there? I kind of looked at them and said, you mean like date timestamp the fingerprint? They go, yeah. No, uh, no, no, you got a lot of toys, but I don't think you have that toy. <laughs> That'd be like me calling a burglary at my house and then them accusing me of my DNA being in the house. Well, no there kidding. I, li- exactly I right. live there. Exactly That's, right. Uh, right. These guys are getting new three wheelers. They got great toys. All the cops out there can, uh, I'm sure, <laughs> smile and just nod no, their head. Saying. Like, yeah, there's always those cases where the you don't hear it on the news and the general public would know, but there's some funny and for lack of a better word, just stupid things that cops say and do when they're trying to solve a case uh, because we're all human, and uh, I just like that funny stuff. So, uh, Ken, thank you so much. It was uh, well, thank a you. pleasure to have you in here, and uh, thanks for the nice reminder of you working there, being a sergeant, net squad. You, man, you got around. Net right? squad, net squad 900. That was a good gig to have. I uh, know a lot of guys who worked there, uh, especially back then. So thank you for all that you did, and thank you for what you're doing for the next generation right now. I think that's... Uh, That's awesome. And we'll be right back with Cup Talk. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. I'll never forget, never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. My first call ever as a member of the National Guard. When we got to the armory, they briefed us on the wildfires. They were getting dangerously close to homes. Helicopters were going out to drop water on the fires. Guys in the unit were preparing for fire fighting with local fire crews. At that moment, I got my first taste of just how important the Guard is to my community. See how the Guard can be an important part of your life at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. 
You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Welcome back to Badge Boys, everybody. Awesome. Awesome first segment. Uh, Darren, thank you as always. You great continue guest. to bring in great guests, and Ken was uh, awesome. A lot of fun to talk to. And um, now we're going to do a little cop talk. And this is, uh, when you told me today what your idea was, this, this is definitely something that... Uh, Gets me a little fired up. Robin has informed me that I have uh, used up my amount of F-words for 2019. So I'm I gonna, did not. I'm going to refrain for the next couple of months and then not. starting in 2020, I'll, I'll get back to it. But um, we are going to talk um, about telemarketing scams. And what I was going to mention on air, well, I am going to mention on air, is I get between 12 and 15 a day. And my I use Verizon. They're pretty good at telling you it's a a potential spam or unknown numbers. And while we're on the commercial break, I get a call from an unknown number and I, I answered it just because I was going to say some things for Robin to record, but they wouldn't. (laughs) It was one of those calls where they only want to leave you a message. I get, I get tech text messages, personal messages. Hey, Jason, would you like to sell your house at, and they know my address, this kind of stuff infuriates me. Now, I'm a young man on the far back side of 40. I but, think of you as a young man. <laughs> I'm dating um, myself. But. So I don't mind these calls in the sense that I don't have a problem telling people what I think, where they can go. And it's pretty easy nowadays to hit block, report, all that other stuff. However, who is vulnerable? Thank you. Our elderly. Our elderly. Who are the most generous people in the country? Our elderly. Our elderly. And they get these calls and they get these scans and we're coming into the season where they're going to get them more because it's the holiday season. Thank you. And you hear stories about people losing their, I mean, they're on a fixed income or they have a little bit of savings. Maybe they have five, eight, 10 grand that they've worked hard and they're in their seventies and eighties and people are scamming them. And we don't have, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at a piece of paper you gave me that Phoenix police arrested 13 people in a telemarketing ring. And that's great. We could talk about it, but the federal laws on this, they should be so harsh against people who intentionally make a phone call. That is a predicated crime. It, it, it's premeditated to think, I'm going to call this person at this number. I want this name, and this is my goal, to take money from them. And they're just out there allowed to do it. It's, I know they're robocalls. I know a lot of things, but... There are some, there's somebody behind it, and there needs to be some harsh, harsh penalties for, for these. So. And until there is, because I agree with you, most times when a police officer hears about this is, well, that's not our jurisdiction, these type of things. You need to go to the attorney general's office, depending on the state. And if it's not within the state, then it has to go to the feds. And if it's not the feds, then it has to go. It's almost like they're, everyone's trying to push these away because they're just very hard to prosecute when you got some robocall coming from Jamaica or some other yeah, place out of, out of country. And so I think unt- until we do get a handle on this, which I don't know if we ever will as a society, because they're clearly targeting the elderly. Because like you so perfectly said, Jason, they're the most vulnerable, they're the most generous, uh-huh. and they're the most targeted. No doubt about it. Um, my, um, I'll tell you a personal story. My um, mother-in-law, a smart, savvy woman, 
from New York. Uh, I tell you, she, she, she doesn't have time for any don't BS. Say, don't call her. Right? They, they, they were successful with her. Really? Because they used the carrot, and that's the, the, it's all about education. Mm-hmm. So I'm sharing this for educational purposes. When you talk about somebody's grandchild... I was and just going to say thank that. Thank you. Uh, thank yep, you, Robin. Happened to my mom. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's a ruse. It's a very common ruse. So it, I know mostly people listening to the audience is a lot of cops, so you know the stories, but, if you, but please share it and share it and share it and share it. But basically what they did, they just basically called and said, um, they act, there was a young girl on the phone. It kind of sounded like her, which was kind of weird. That was random. And she goes, I have to go. I'm in jail in Bermuda. Um, it's a long story. I'm, I'm, I'm okay, but I don't want my mom to know. Please, I, I got the, the um, oh gosh, the representative is going to talk to you. And then boom, that's it. That's the last you'll ever hear from her. Because now it's just enough to say, oh my God, was that little Peggy? Was that little Susie? And then you talk to someone who's very professional, very nice. And that's the key. The good ones are extremely nice, articulate, oh, yeah. and complimentary. Yeah. They love to compliment you. And, oh, you're such a good grandmom. And yet, but the, that is, is a red flag. The true key to these is they want you to go to, whether it be Sears. Well, I don't even know if Sears exists anymore. <laughs> but they, they want you to go to Walmart. They want you to go and get those, those um, gift cards and put lots of money on that gift card so that you can give them the number. The reason they want you to do that because you can't track it. You, you are literally throwing your money away. If anyone ever tells you to get a gift card and give me the number, you might as well say that is synonymous with a scam. And hundred percent of the time, hundred percent of the time. Yeah, this is not you know like sometimes. No, it, if you have to right, go Jason. somewhere, put money into an account number that you're given, or buy a card that you did not plan to buy for your own purposes, it it it's is one hundred percent of the time a scam. Never one time will it be legitimate, and that needs to be the the basis of the education. Hang up on people and. If, if they're pulling at your heartstrings, if they are talking about somebody in your family, you know what? There's no harm in hanging up and calling somebody else in your family going, is this true? Because they're going to go, no. You know how the call starts, though, guys? Everything's fine. It starts out with, hi, grandma. Thank you. And then the grandma repeats the child's name. Oh, so now they got the name. Exactly. Yeah, that's and a great that's how, no, that's that's a, how That is it. a great point, Robin. And that conversation is literally seconds long i yes. have to go i only was able to call you here's the representative of the bermuda whatever give me your phone number and let me call you back after i look at how i can move some funds around for yeah. you that's the key right there yep. so you can hang up and get it yep. well and then they'll hang up on you when you ask for their phone number right. you ask for some credibility they don't they don't have it so and that's the sentimental hook then we have the greed hook and that's what's related to this article that uh, is in front of jason is basically where they contact an elderly person and say, hey, do we have a deal for you? And it's kind of like that bait and hook that we used to work in burglaries and so forth, the fraud schemes where, you know, in order to, for this to happen, we need, we need some upfront money. We need some investment money, but you're fine because we're going to get it right back to you. And anytime somebody says we need money to give you money, <laughs> it's also a scam. Oh, yeah. I get, yeah. The, no, I get those emails from somewhere in Asia that's like, if you, uh, you, you are set to inherit Three That's a good one. Dollars. The inherit one. We need three hundred dollars for you. I'm like, <laughs> you need money. I give you three hundred, so I can inherit three million. That 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 completely. It's, it's good math. Joke. It's that, good it's math. Great math. Take it out um, of my three million. But you know, for those of you who think that this is like small time, this is one city that the report that I'm looking at. And shout out to Phoenix PD for 
taking care of things that a lot of us just bitch about or it doesn't have the it's not a sexy crime it's not something that's going to make the news somebody else but to put this into perspective phoenix pd arrested 13 people and they cheated senior citizens out of 40 million dollars 13 people were able to accomplish 40 million dollars so this is not something to be taken lightly this is not small time it adds up and there's Tens of millions of people in this country, and a lot of them, uh, people are living longer now. A lot of them are, are elderly, and just like we talked about in the first segment, you got to protect our children. You, you damn elderly. sure got to protect our elderly. They have earned it. They have earned the Greatest right to generation. live in peace at toward the end. Lord, I mean, if I ever make it to eighty something, I hope somebody's looking out for me. You know, as I as I slow down a little bit and don't get as fired up as I do right now. So. Um, <laughs> I think that's uh, it's an important thing. Education. We, we talked about it with Ken. It's all about education. We still try to educate ourselves every day on different things, and the elderly need to be educated. So, if you have anybody that you love and care about, talk to them. All you police officers out there, if you go on a call, you don't have to run out of that call right away. If there's an elderly person there, sit and talk to them for a second. Tell hey, them the latest scam. Yeah, they're always evolving. Does your phone ever ring? Do you ever get these? And then have a a conversation because knowledge is power and having people say things out loud that's an education thing when, when people are like you know what i do get those calls all the time like i said i get it 12 to 15 minimum every day on my cell phone and they're very personal they know my name they know my address it is very scary so i can only imagine what it feels like when you're you know elderly and a little more vulnerable than and sometimes they will come off really mean spirited. And we talked about some that are, you know, you know, complimentary. Some come off as I'm from the IRS. You're in trouble unless you call this number. And all of a sudden they Those put you on the Those are my favorite defensive. calls and emails. I'm with the IRS and you are going to jail. Well, <laughs> yeah. hey, come on down. I've never seen and, the IRS police. Uh, I, I haven't been in handcuffs since I was in the academy. So Not from an IRS agent. Come on down and let's see. Yeah, exactly. Really? And you guys even forgot to touch on one thing, too. Because I live with my retired parents. You know, my dad's 92 now in a nursing home. My mom's 79. They live in a retirement park out in the East Valley. And these people actually come to their doors trying to do stuff. And I Gypsies. had, I had an argument with a guy trying to roof the trailer. And yes. he says, well, I see the Mustang in the driveway. I said, dude, that's not my dad's. That's mine. My dad doesn't own anything. And they wanted to charge him five grand to do the roof. And that's, it's like, no. That's a great point. Anytime the monsoon hits, we get a influx of mm-hmm. these, you know, we call the ambulance uh, chasers. Yeah. yeah, storm chasers. Different kind of storm chasers. These guys are gypsies. They're, they're nomadic. They come from all over the place. They get that money and they're gone. They so, don't do no, the that's work. a great point, especially yeah. during the monsoon season, at least in Arizona. I know we're talking to everyone across the world. But, but seniors are a huge target, especially yes, in are. retirement areas. Because retirement areas and then a lot of different communities the elderly kind of have like their own community yeah yeah so great great point that's a great cop talk so we'll be right back for our last segment stupid suspects rock headlines and of course jason's inspirational clothes we'll be right back more stories inside guests and true blue humor coming up on batch boys we'll be back right after this 
I remember the moment. Remember the moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. As much as I love that Cop Talk segment, it is a little bit of a downer because you think of people that are intentionally targeting the elderly and it just makes me mad. So I need something to lift up my spirits. And what better than Jason with his heroic headline? Well, this week's heroic headline, uh, it probably won't truly lift up your spirits because it involves uh, somebody being murdered. But uh, this gentleman is not a hero for how and why he died he's a hero for how he lived and uh i want to talk about you know we had a guest on uh several months ago one of uh, uh a guy i just fell in love with talking to uh craig darlow with harris county sheriff absolutely department of texas the guy's fantastic i think he is they're what currently 36 years harris county is a great great organization and they lost one of their officers on september 27th on a traffic stop and this officer named Sandeep Dollywall. This was a trailblazing officer in the yes. sense that not only was he with the Sikh community, he was the first officer in Texas allowed to wear the traditional garments, the turban, and he was allowed to have a full beard. And he served the community, and he pulled over. It's on. The actual murder is not on dash cam, thankfully. But when he's talking to the occupants of the vehicle, uh, you know, I think people, when they see something on TV or TV show, Hollywood, they think that it's like this magical tunnel you get in where you know something's coming. It's not like that. It goes from calm to fatal instantly. He's talking to the occupants of this car, and they were being kind. He turned to walk back to his car, you know, to run the license plates and to, or I'm sorry, the driver's license to check things out. And the driver got out of his car, ran up to him. We all know from our training, it does not take very long. And he shot this deputy in the back of the head. I mean, such a cowardly act. And it turns out he was one. He's been arrested since. He's facing the death penalty. And let me tell you something. One thing I love about Texas, he'll die. For this crime. And I can't wait to read about it. But he was facing a aggravated assault with a stolen gun charge from back in 2017. So basically he was still probably in his mind out on the run. And taking a human being's life was worth the chance of him not going to jail for what maybe would have been, with our screwed up laws nowadays, a few months. Now he's facing the death penalty because criminals are ethically stupid but he snuffed out the life of a beautiful beautiful soul and uh deputy dolly wall was truly he was a trailblazer he represented law enforcement his community 
and the United States very well. And he is my hero again, not because he was killed in the line of duty, because but of how the, he lived, because of the way he lived. And Godspeed. He was a husband, a father of three, I believe, a brother, a son, and an outstanding deputy for ten years. So. To Harris County, Craig Darlow, if you're listening, I know you're a pastor, um, and I'm sure you're doing wonderful work for everybody down there, but uh, God bless all of you. Now we will turn it over um, after that to Darren's Stupid Suspect Stories, and God help, help us, us now. Yeah, God help <laughs> us. <laughs> you know, for the last three weeks, I've tried to get a theme going, and last time I was talking to Jason, you talked about some drunk, and it was a... Uh, off-duty officers that stopped the drunk that was going the wrong way. And I just happened to have uh, three stupid stuff stories that had to do with drunken debauchery. It was Mm -hmm. perfect. And I have three stories that have to do with a gun. Uh, Sadly, uh, segueing from that that heroic headline. Uh, The first stupid suspect story with a gun. Criminal goes to sheriff's office to get his gun and ends up going to jail. Uh, This is a, uh, this man was wanted for murder. Um, He made the cops job so easy when he showed up to the Clayton County, Georgia sheriff's office, tried to get his old gun back. That was confiscated during a previous crime. Yeah, yeah. This is the stupid guy. His name is Defarious Cotton. Uh, he didn't get his gun, but he did get placed in jail since uh, the warrant was out for him. Basically, uh, Defarious committed a crime in 2017, and it was a misdemeanor marijuana and traffic charge. And he picked all the time to go down and get the gun. They, of course, did a records check, and he was wanted for murder and so he went to jail i love that story i hope more of you wanted murders go and try to get your old property back yes can i have my gun back that i shot somebody with great (laughs) they closed that case yeah Yeah, right right (laughs) okay the next stupid suspect story involving gun drunk guys i do say plural wear bulletproof vests while shooting each other. Uh, only in Arkansas. Deputies arrested two men accused of putting on bulletproof only vests in Arkansas. and shooting each other. Charles Eugene Ferris, age 50, was on his back deck drinking, which is what you do on your back deck, yes. with his neighbor Christopher Hicks. And yes, he's a hick. Uh, he was 36 years of age. I guess he's still alive. We'll find out. Uh, I was saying he was when he was or wearing, is. wearing a bulletproof vest and he told Hicks, hey, Here's a good idea. Shoot me. <laughs> so Hicks, a great idea. Hicks shot Ferris in the chest with a 22 caliber semi-automatic rifle. And as we all know, yeah, the uh, bulletproof vest for these um, caliber is different. From, but luckily, it worked. Luckily, he was only hurt. The bullet hit him on the top left corner of the chest. And the bullet was stopped. But as we know... You know, not stupid suspects, but the rest of us know that's going to hurt. Yes. And <laughs> Ferris left him a red mark on his chest, and he was he was pissed off. So he took off the uh, Ferris was pissed, took off the. Uh, well, he just got shot. I'd be pretty pissed but, off but too. He tells the guy to shoot him. <laughs> so then he takes off the vest, and yep, you got it. Uh, Hicks put on the vest, and uh, Ferris unloaded a clip into his back before he could what? even get situated. Yeah, he was pissed. He shot him. So He's pretty lucky because once the vest is compromised, it's not going to work as well. It went from the front to the back. So he kind of got lucky they shot him in the back. But uh, none of the rounds penetrated the vest, and Hicks suffered just major bruises. Uh, he went to a hospital, and, of course, the 
police were notified, and Ferris initially told deputies a story about being paid. I love this story. I was paid two hundred dollars to protect an quote asset end quote, and that he was shot guarding the quote asset unquote from a man wearing a white suit. The most silly, stupid story you could get from an Arkansas fix, guy. You can't fix uh, stupid. Are they was, still friends that, now? That looked like this, by the way. I'm yeah, passing the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Are they yeah. still drinking, yeah. buddies? This are was, they still neighbors? Yeah. These, yeah. So Ooh. that story went to a hell in a handbasket when they went to his home and talked to the wife and said, nope, the two idiots were shooting each other with a bulletproof vest. That's, so they went to jail for uh, lying to cops and everything else. So That's a uh, Bill Ingvall story. Here's your sign. <laughs> you, can't, you just can't fix it. And that may have happened in arkansas the last stupid suspect story is from phoenix a man shoots himself in the face trying to quiet down the neighbors yeah that'll show them a phoenix man accused of shooting his ceiling initially to get the neighbors above him to quiet down then shoots his face instead <laughs> what what did he lose? <laughs> Cough your nose to spite your face. Yeah, I, uh, truly. Yes. Did he lose his nose? I don't know. We have so little information on this. Uh, no one else in the late night shooting has come uh, come forward. It happened at Baseline and 36th Street, which for people in Phoenix know that area. Uh, the uh, representative for Phoenix said, quote, uh, he had banged on the neighbor's door yelling at them, trying to make Contact. This was here? Yeah, yes. that's it, mm-hmm. literally Phoenix. So we have a little bit of Arkansas in us. Yes, uh, we yeah. do. Yes, we do. So that is the stupid oh suspect God, I want to go on that call. I, that's yeah. instant karma, guys. I want to go on yeah. that. That's what you tell me. It's like, Darwin. Dude, uh, it's Darwin. I'm it's thinning the herd. I'm, I love it. I'm, I'm sure there's a crime here, but you're so stupid. I'm just leaving and going. Uh, <laughs> I'm, going I'm going 10-8. This is, uh, Here's another clip. This is great. All right. This week's uh, inspirational close I, and at the risk of, I didn't hear back from the gentleman that I'm going to talk about right now. Um, I get a lot of emails, as you know. Uh, I get a lot of contacts through Facebook, Instagram. I've been very blessed over the years. I get some not-so-nice messages because of my former career and my appearance. And then I get a ton of, you know what, God bless. Uh, I'm going through this. I have cancer. You're this. Your inspiration. rarely... Do I get an email that I stare at, and when I get to the end, I go right back to the top, and I read it again, and I read it again, and it sinks in more and more. And I want to share this email, and then I'll tell you why. And this is mostly for all the law enforcement out there. We have, you know, on average, we have 150 officers a year killed in the line of duty, and it's various reasons. You know, quite a bit of them will be shot, quite a few car accidents, but I mean, you'll have your heart attacks and things like that, 150 in the line of duty. Three times that many are killing themselves. Uh, the same with the fire department because of PTS and, and other things. So I get this email last night and just go straight to the point. No, hi, Jason. How you doing? Nothing like this. Uh, came through my website and straight to the point. He, this gentleman said, I uh, just wanted to mention how things work in mysterious ways. Today, October 8th, is the anniversary of my work shooting, one where I had to watch a squad mate take a round point blank in the face. I survived the shooting only to be ambushed a second time while providing first aid to that officer. I survived the second shooting. I found it very hard to come to terms with what I saw, what happened. I know that the mind is a very powerful thing, but I couldn't escape my demons and have since medically retired. 
I was checking Facebook last night, and the dispatcher who worked that shooting made a comment. So I spent a little time on Facebook, and your name popped up as a possible connection. I knew a little bit about your story. I ordered your book. Barely getting into it, I started to cry because I was able to relate with how things were taken away. But I love that your attitude is life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. And even though I missed the job, a small piece of me in life was taken away. But now I understand that I need to honor those that weren't as lucky and don't have the life that I do. And this officer's first name is Ray. So my point is to all you cops out there, this is what struck me about this email. First of all, he took the time to write me, to find out how to write me, and he did it on the anniversary of his shooting. So he's going through a lot. He's medically retired. He's obviously facing uh, a lot of demons. And so I wrote him back, and I'm like, listen, I am so humbled by this. I am so moved by this. But also, you have to understand, I don't even tell strangers when I meet them. They ask me what happened. I do not say I was injured in the line of duty. It's ridiculous to me. I was in a car accident responding to a call. And I know what you're going to say, Darren, and I appreciate your love and support. But for me, as you can imagine, there's a lot of cops who have been through. You've been in three shootings. You know what I'm talking about. And when we see it on the news, even when we're cops, I'm guilty of this. I had to go back and Google this individual's name. I had to read what happened five years ago to understand, and I was ashamed that I didn't know. But there's so many officer-involved shootings. And then when that 30-second, 45-second news clip is over, then it's on to, oh, is it going to rain tomorrow? Do I, do I need to prepare? And that's how quickly it goes out of our minds. And you don't realize when an officer is involved in a shooting, yes, it's part of the job sometimes with the protect and serve thing. It still affects them very, very deeply whether they're injured, whether they have to take a life or injure somebody. But the I was never in that type of, I've never been in a shooting. I can't imagine that split second decision, that life or death decision, squeezing that trigger, it's going to affect you. And knowing that all the suicides are happening, we're talking, this gentleman right here, he took the time to reach out to me and I'm like, please, let's go have lunch, coffee. I'd give Good anything to look you in the eye and if I can offer any help at all, from a person who can't relate. I, I was not, uh, again, I was in a car accident. This is not the same thing. And I've had a lot, I wasn't targeted in that sense. Nobody, the guy was not after me personally. He was targeted with a gun and you, you get the, emo- his, his scars, mine are physical, his are emotional and mental. And he had to leave the job. And I'm, uh, I just want all the cops out there to understand that there are a lot of you that go through these things. Darren, uh, between your shootings, the loss of your son, yeah, how you have overcome, you have a, and I don't want to say a great story to tell, but hope you, hopefully you know what I mean by that. I do, When you friend. tell your story, it is the instruction manual and the roadmap for other people. Do not hide it. And I'm reading this email, and I'm like, I want this guy to go out and share his story. I want him to be back in the academy. I just taught last week 50 recruits for DPS. This is a DPS officer who emailed me. And now I go back in my mind to looking at those young faces and listen, this could happen. And this, this is for real when you get out there. And no matter what the public thinks, no matter what the media and politicians think and how quickly they want to glance over it, it is not your job to get hurt or killed in the line of duty. That is not your job. 
It can happen. It does happen. It's not your responsibility, and it doesn't mean you can just be okay with it. So, Ray, if you happen to listen, God bless you. I'd love to meet with you. Your email has truly humbled me and meant so much to me that uh, I, I will keep it forever. And all you law enforcement officers out there who have gone through critical incidences and will go through, don't be ashamed of how it feels afterwards and find a way to get, I mean, you got to find a way to get past it because you did sign up for this job. You did put your name on the application. You are going to answer those calls and it can happen. Some, a lot of people go through their whole career and it doesn't and God bless them, but it does for a lot. So uh, I just wanted to share that email because I, it's very important that people recognize post-traumatic stress is real. You and guys are human, man. Yeah, we are. And you know, and this is a family. This Reach gentleman, out to us. this gentleman's going through a lot. Not only does he have the memories of what he went, and thankfully the officer, his squad mate that got shot in the face survived. But still, so he has physical. I don't even know if he's still a cop now. The, when you next time you hear on the news, officer involved shooting, don't just glance over it and don't rush and to think, judgment. Think, uh, yeah, think everything is fine, and the officer's back to work the next day because that's just not how it goes. It is life changing for all of us. So God bless all of you out there in law enforcement. Thank you for your service. And no matter what happens, be strong, reach out for help and stay safe. Stay safe. We'll see you all next week. Batch Boys. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police Sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Badge Boys.